You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. Today, John 3. John 3, and we're down in verse 16. It's July 25th today. We're not quite as far from Christmas as humanly possible, but we're pretty close. Today would basically make, uh, in a lot of ways, a good Christmas sermon. Of course, the fact that it's Christmas with all that goes with it, centered on the birth of Christ, as men have made this uh, holiday from biblical text and kind of created it. But it's no accident that the gifts for us are associated with the coming of Jesus And today we're going to look at John 3.16, and we're going to look at it as the perfect gift and perfect giver. The perfect gift and perfect giver. In John 3.16, it reads this way, as you know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. For he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world. And men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who hates, or everyone who does evil, hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. So here we are now at the end of the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus. Now our entire study of John, we've been calling a guided tour to belief because John, our faithful narrator of these things, as he writes and picks the incidents he wants to describe and emphasizes the parts of them for our uh, attention, he he is guiding us to belief. He's unapologetically doing that, as he will say at the end of the book, these things are written that you might believe. Speaking particularly about the miracles, but it's true in fact, of all the things that John writes. And so in this case, we have come to uh, the most famous uh, verse probably in the gospel. It's certainly the most famous summary of the gospel. The only verse I've been thinking all this week, preparing to to, to, uh, teach this, what verse would be more well-known? I got judged not that you be not judged but nobody would know where to find it. I have this, for God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son, and this is the one people would be able to find. This is probably, for most people, the only verse they can name by chapter and verse citation. Because if I tell them, uh, you know, John eight forty six, John has eight of them, and 46 of what? You know, uh, us and our brethren, we, we, we very well know Acts 2.38, uh, most of the religious world doesn't know Acts 2.38. Uh, there might be 
uh, a number of people who are more serious Bible students uh, and, and more committed Christians. They might know Ephesians 2.1, that we're dead in our sins and trespasses. Uh, there might be some other passages. But, but to know a verse by chapter and verse, this is it. And as I study this more and more, uh, I, I, I've wondered, and I do not know, I don't know if these are the words of Jesus here, or these are the words of John. I, I don't know if J- Jesus, after through verse 15, I'm real sure Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. But at this point, I don't know if this is uh, our faithful narrator adding a summary of the gospel, or if this is Jesus' words to Nicodemus, or if this is Jesus' words to the disciples. Now, if you have a red-letter Bible in front of you, you're going to easily say, well, no, it's obviously the words of Jesus that's in red. Uh, unless you have a different printing of a red-letter edition, and it goes, oh, no, it's obviously the words of John because it's in black. Because in red-letter editions of the Bible, some of them put this in red and some don't. There's not that many words in red-letter editions of the Bible, or not, but there's not that many words in red-letter editions that, were, that we wonder, did Jesus actually say it or not? This is really uh, the biggest block of such words. And so here we have this most familiar passage, this probably uh, greatest single uh, summary, single encapsulation of the, of the gospel of any place. There's a reason why this verse has uh, been able to be uh, taken out and, and sort of stand on its own and represent the entire enterprise uh, because it does it so well. And we're really not completely sure if Jesus said it or John said it. Now, ultimately, of course, does that matter? No, because who's behind all the words of the book of God or the Holy Spirit? It's all inspired. Now, one of the things that can happen to us, because of its utter familiarity, because of the fact this is one of the early verses we all memorize, and we've known it for so long, and we run into it in such a variety of places, and I remember growing up, you know, if somebody was kicking a field goal, what are you going to see behind the, the uprights? Somebody holding up a John 3.16 sign. You drive down the road and uh, some random business will have what in their window? A John 3.16 sign. But, but just be on billboards, just, sometimes just the, the chapter, uh, book chapter verse citation. Uh, sometimes uh, part of the text or all the text. You might see it on uh, you know, a bumper sticker on a car. You might see it in, in a, uh, a little bit fancier uh, vinyl sticker in a window. Uh, you just see it all over, of course. Not to mention how many times and places you see it on clothing. And so it is that we might end up overlooking the vast importance of this verse, not because it isn't central and clear and well-known, but just because it is so very familiar that we already know all the words. And you think, well, what is the preacher going to tell me about John 3.16 that I don't already know? And I don't know. I don't know. So I'll just remind you of that, which you do know. But sometimes, and it's just, it seems very familiarity, we take it to be as a thing of, well, not that important. Because most things important, really important and really valuable, isn't there something of a, uh, a sacredness to it? Isn't there something of a mysteriousness to it? Isn't there something of an elevation to it? Right? We, you have the common dishes at home, but you got the china. And when do you get out the china? On a special occasion. And until then, where is it kept? It's kept in the special cabinet. And not a cabinet with like a regular cabinet where you close the door and you can't see what's in the cabinet. 
But in the special cabinet, where it's glass in the front and glass on the bottom and glass, you, you got three sides, it's open on three sides, so why? We can see it. Or if it's, a, if it's a wonderful piece of jewelry, the nicer the piece of jewelry, the nicer the box we keep it in. Well, what about something in our house that we just have in every room of the house, on every wall of the house, it's in the car, it's on the floor, it's on the ceiling, it's on the TV. John 3.16 is the verse that's everywhere. And what do we do, in just natural human mind, what do we do with the thing that's just everywhere? After a while, we just kind of take it as scenery. Uh, we don't take it as special. Uh, we, like, we want the novel. Uh, we want the, uh, you know, the, the curious. Uh, we, want what we, we say we want the special. And just out of its familiarity, it can become trite to us. And hopefully, by its repetition, we don't become bored with it, and our minds just start to wonder, as soon as somebody says the first couple of words, oh, I know what the rest of the words are, and I'll mentally re-engage when you get to the end of the sentence. I hope we don't do that. Because there's a reason why this verse has been lifted to the place that it's been. There's a reason why this verse uh, has been made to be uh, so familiar. And I think, one of our first key words here is going to be gave. God so loved that he gave. Now, even in this, as I was thinking, in a, when I try to do these, I try to, on these lessons about a text, find a key word, a key phrase, or two or three that sort of takes us through the flow and importance of the text and takes us to the highlights. But I got to say, in John 3.16, what noun or verb would not be a key word? Uh, they're all key words. God, loved world, gave, only begotten son, believes, not perish, eternal life. They're all key words. They're all of great importance. This is already one of the purest distillations of the gospel that we can have. It's hard to summarize or distill it anymore. This is the pure distilled version. And it encapsulates for us the, the, the great act of God in the gospel that he gave us something. And don't we all like giving gifts? And don't we all like getting gifts? And as I said, we're about as far on the calendar as possible for Christmas, but aren't some of the kids already thinking about what they want to have? And we just love gifts. And when we're young, it's what, what we we want when we're a little older oftentimes the gifts are more about what we need although when we get to a another place in our maturity we come to realize it's better to give than receive as the lord himself said quoted in acts and we actually end up becoming uh coming where we we get more joy and satisfaction out of giving than receiving well in this case we have god the great giver giving to us and so we have God, the perfect giver. So God so loved. God so loved the world. And so we're going to start here with the perfect gift of God. And we, we think about that, that it said we love because uh, he first loved us from 1 John. We start with God's love as a reason for this great gift. Now, as I said, we often have especially as we get older, desires to give. But sometimes our desires to give haven't been fully developed. 
Uh, and sometimes our desires to give have become uh, corrupted. And so we sort of have to teach, don't we? We have to teach the young ones to give. And, and early on, the, the, their first lessons in giving is we bought a present and we tell them, here, go give this to grandma, right? You give grandma this gift. What, what is it? I don't, I don't, it doesn't matter what it is. Just go give it to grandma, right? And so we're training them in the way of giving. And a little bit later, when we have them help us pick out the gift for Aunt Sally or for grandma or, or for dad or for mom or for brother or sister, we, we run into a little sullenness about it. It's like, I don't want to do that. Yeah, you do. Or, oh, ooh, uh, I want that. No, we're getting a gift for your brother today. We're not getting something. We're getting something for, for, we're getting something for somebody else. Oh, but I want it. And then though we, we learn a little better and we, 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 start doing, we start doing our giving a little better. And one of the things we find out in this world so often is that very often with giving, there's reciprocation. Uh, you know, you, you really need to give that Valentine to so-and-so, but I don't like them. Yeah, but they're going to give you one, right? That's how school Valentine's things work. Or our school Christmas parties. You got to take a book to give. I don't want to take a book to give. Yeah, but you're going to get a book, so you got to give a book. And so some of these things, it's not really very much giving. It's just, well, sometimes we call it what it is, gift exchange. We're just exchanging. So we try to do well just because we want to do well in return. And oftentimes we end up giving out of obligation. But I don't want to give her anything. Dear, we're going to get my mother a present. Don't. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. We, we give out of expectation. We give to get something back. Or sometimes we learn to give something, but we give it selfishly. We, we give to somebody because it helps us that we give. We give a gift because it greases the skids of something that it helps something be done. Or we give a gift uh, to curry favor. Or sometimes people are passive aggressive and they give a gift to make a point. There's there's a barb in the gift. And we think about all the different ways that we give which are imperfect, all the different ways that we give which aren't really right and noble, and maybe we're just giving because we feel guilty. You know, how many wives have gotten new cars and uh, new houses or new whatevers or trips to wherever because the husband did something terrible, right? And so he's trying to atone for what he did with a gift. And so in this case, we have God the perfect one giving out of love, purely out of love. What does God get out of this except for a reconciliation with his own alienated children? What, what's in it for God? Our good is in it for God. And God loves us and cares about our good. And so he gives us the costly thing from himself for our very own good. First John 4 to verse 10. And this is love. Not that we love God. So he's not giving this uh, to folks uh, who love him. He's not giving this out of a reciprocation because they've done so much for him. Now, those who are redeemed will dedicate our lives to doing for him, but he's definitely the first mover. There's no owing here. 
There's no obligation here on his part. This is love, true, actual love. And not when we were loving, and not really when we were all that lovable, except that he still loved us, us corrupted mankind who'd been made in his image. But that he loved us, and he sent his son to be the propitiation. Some of the newer translations will say atoning sacrifice for our sins. There was a great hostility caused between us and God, a great rift between us and God by our sin. Isaiah said, your iniquities have caused separation between you and God. In his holiness and our unholiness, there came to be a great rift with his great act of love. He reached across that rift, across that divide to save us with a perfect gift from his perfect nature that is demonstration of completely perfect love. And so, he gave the perfect gift. How many of us spend so much time at gift-giving season? We got to find the perfect gift. Just the right gift. And, you know, and it didn't help us that maybe we found the perfect gift last year. They say, well, I'll just do that again. Well, they've already had that. We got to you mean, again, I got to find the perfect gift? Well, God, for all of sinful humanity, gives the perfect gift. His only begotten son. Uh, some translations will say his one and only son. Now, there are many sons of God through the scripture. But there's a special one that Jesus was alone, right? That special one and only son. This is the perfect gift. Because why? Well, he is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And what's our big problem? The sin that we had to this world. Uh, It's not just that there's a world of sin out there, and it comes and encroaches on us and attacks us, although sometimes it does. But that big world of sin out there, and how'd that all get there? Because individuals sinned. And what did we add to that big world of sin? What sometimes are we adding? We're adding our own sin. And so for each of us, our own sin is the thing that we most need help with, we most need solving. As it says, as we read, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. If we believe in him, it solves our problem of perishing. Because when Jesus came to save us, what were we? Perishing. And aside from and outside of and without Jesus, where would we remain forever? Perishing. And so, we have this gift that we most need. We have this gift that it turns out is the right size for everybody. We have this gift that is what everybody most needs. Now, again, in our imperfection... How many of us recognize that this was the perfect gift? You know, if, we, if we're searching for him and longing for him, then we, we will come to realize this was perfection for us. But at the time it was given, how many people recognize this was God's greatest gift ever? How many, how many people in you know, the time of Jesus' ministry recognize we're about to see the greatest act of God in his grace for mankind ever? This is something that's going to surpass the creation. This is something that's going to surpass the uh, flood and saving Noah in it. This is something going to surpass the delivery of the children of Israel 
out of the uh, fiery furnace uh, uh, of Egypt, going to be more than delivery through the Red Sea, going to be more than the restoration from captivity, going to be more than this is This is the ultimate gift. How many people recognized it at the time? No, they didn't. But I think about all the good gifts I've been given uh, by family in the past or by friends, by brethren, and how many times was I given a great gift at the time I didn't recognize? I didn't realize what I had. And how many of us? We didn't realize what, uh, the thing we possessed or were given. We didn't realize, but later, with better understanding of the situation, with better understanding of the thought and intent behind it, with better understanding of what it was we really needed. It's like, oh, that, that was perfect. And sometimes it's done with a tinge of regret. That was perfect. I wish I still had it. Or sometimes it's done with a realization. That was perfect. I still ha- I'm glad I kept that. I could use that now. And so there are things that we only come to realize with greater understanding and passage of time and more maturity. And so it is with the world and the perfect gift. It should be that at time, as time passes, the gift is better recognized and more understood because we greater see and appreciate the perfection of what was offered. And so we have this prophecy of God and uh, of what he's planning to do and how far he plans to bless people. And so here's a prophecy of Isaiah, and we'll see how it's fulfilled in Jesus. Isaiah 52, 8. Listen, you watchmen, lift up your voices. They shout joyfully together, and they'll see with their own eyes when the Lord restores Zion. Break forth and shout joyfully together, your waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He's redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, that all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of our God. And so God is going to bear his arm. He's going to show his might. And he's going to show salvation to the ends of the earth. And then what do we get in the gospel as a fulfillment? That God so loved the world. And so God so loved the world. His perfect willingness to give at great cost this perfect gift that we most need. And so this is a full-on perfect gift. He didn't hold anything back in this. He gave us His Son. His Son to live with us. His Son to befriend us. His Son to die for us. And He gives it freely. This is a perfect gift. And it's perfect that it goes for everybody. You know, there's nothing sadder than to see little children sometimes where some of them have got a really good gift and some of them got a really terrible one. And some of them, they really, they're, 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 they're so upset because somebody else got an obviously better gift. And we, we tell them things to make them feel better about it. But it's obvious to all, including to them, that the other thing that the other guy got, that was better. Well, even in our Bible stories, we have things like this. Joseph and his coat of many colors. We think, oh, how his daddy loved him and gave him that beautiful coat. All right, kids, and that ends the story, and they lived happily ever. No, I mean, we, we almost hate to tell about Joseph getting that lovely, wonderful coat out of the great love of his father, because in the way his father gave that gift, what did he do? 
he completed the alienation of his other sons from the son that he loved. And of course, it was that kind of partiality that had driven the strife for years among them. And what's the last thing we see of that coat? Ripped up, coated in blood, and given back to the father who gave it as a sign that his favorite son was dead. That gift didn't turn out so well, did it? And we think, what did Joseph think was going to happen when he gave his beloved son this beautiful gift? What did he think was going to happen? He didn't think that. And so it wasn't a perfect gift. It turned out to be a terrible and destructive gift because of its partiality. But then we come to Jesus, where the, the favorite and loved son is the perfect gift, and is there partiality there? Because who is this gift, gift given to? God so loved the world. There isn't any partiality in the giving of Jesus. Who can access what is in Jesus and the eternal life that is promised to him? Who can accept that and who can have that? All who believe. All who believe. So this makes it a more perfect gift than it was already. It's the perfect thing we needed for the solution, but it's also perfectly fitted and perfectly offered to everyone. And who takes advantage? In the book of Revelation is this, Revelation 5 and verse 9, as they saw the lamb that was slain, those redeemed, it says, they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the book and break the seals for you were slain and purchased for God with your own blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And so it's for every tribe and tongue and people and nation. It's for everyone. And we think about Jacob, or his name was Israel. What if Israel had given all his sons a coat of many colors? You would have had a whole group of guys walking around with joy. You would have had a whole group of guys who could strut around the yard as those who were loved to their father. And if outsiders or people from other tribes said, hey, what about that? Why, why you Israelites dressed like that? Because we're loved by our father. If any of them want to start trouble about it, who's going to stand behind the brother you're causing trouble with? The other 11, right? Okay, well, maybe one of them was damaged really, uh, really, really young. Or Benjamin was really, really young at that time. Maybe he wouldn't leave him behind. But he had 11 of them, 11, 11 full-grown men. But you could have had them stand together and sing together the praises of their father. Instead, they all turn on the one. And so we got the perfect gift, perfectly offered. And it's effective for those believers of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So we got a perfect giver and we got a perfect gift. And this is what makes it so gracious and wonderful for us. It's to rather imperfect recipients. Because what's the great blessing and promise in it? God so loved the world that he, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish. All right, what's our state aside from the gift? What's our state when the gift is given? We are perishing. We're perishing. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified by a gift of his grace. A gift of his grace. So there's what he gives. 
through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. So that's an explanation. It's a gift of His grace given to us for redemption. That's the same thing as He gave His Son out of love to save the world. And again, it's because of the great love that He loved us. And it's not that we were lovable, but that He loved us anyway. Ephesians 2, verse 5. 4 and 5. God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, made alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. His great love with which he loved us. He didn't love us when we were lovable and good children. He loved us when we were wicked and in error. He loved us when we were in sin. Another one like that in 1 John 3, 1. See how great... The love of the, how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. Or 1 John 4.10 And this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So it wasn't that we loved, but He gave to the ones who didn't love. He gave to the ones who were estranged. He gave, he gave to the ones who, who were in error. He gave to the ones who were in sin. He gave them, he gave the whole world of them, his son. And you think because of that, uh, preaching this gospel and telling people the love of God and the work of Christ, this should be the easiest thing to do there ever was. Our Father in heaven loved us greatly and he gave us this perfect gift of his son. So preaching, it seems, should be the easiest job in the world. But why is it that even just following Christ will get you persecuted by the world. What does the scripture say? All who wish to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And Jesus said, they, they don't hate you because of you. They hated me first. They hate me, and so they're going to hate you. Why did the greatest gift ever, from the greatest giver ever, get such a terrible reaction? Because of the recipients and because of the sin that was in them. God announced this day was coming. God prepared the way. God sent Jesus to preach it and teach it for years. And yet still, he knew that he would be rejected. But the prophecy says that he'll be effective in this anyway. Again, one more time to Isaiah. Isaiah 45, 21 and 2. Declare and set forth your case. Isaiah calls out in the name of the Lord. Indeed, let them consult together. Who's announced this from old? Who has long since declared it? Is it not I, the Lord? So I'm, I'm doing the thing I, I plan to do. And he said, there's no other God beside me. A righteous God and a Savior. There's none except me. Turn to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth. For I am God. And there is no other. This is objectionable to folks, that he's God. A lot of folks want to be God themselves. There's a lot of folks who want other folks to be in charge, or they prefer that no one be in charge. But God says, contend with me if you can. I'm the real God. I'm the real Savior. So turn to me and be saved. What did this John 3.16 say? Believe and be saved. Believe and uh, have eternal life and not perish. Turn to me, or in John, believe, and tell this to whom? To the ends of the earth. 
all the ends of the earth. You know, we sometimes get the mistaken idea that God was uh, you know, just interested in the Jews. There was a time when they were his uh, primary instruments and chosen people through whom to bring this universal salvation available to all, but it was never intended even from Isaiah's time. And Isaiah sees that it's not just for us. It's turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth because I'm the God and there is no other. This is the gift. This is the way he saves us. It's in Jesus. It's in what God gave in no other way. And so to all the ends of the earth, or as John 3.16 says, uh, he so loved the world. Or, one more, as the angels sang the night he was born, they told the shepherds, uh, don't be afraid. There's good news of great joy for you and all the people. For today, in the city of David, there's been born to you a Savior, Christ the Lord. Good news for you and all the people. So he came for all the people. The prophecy was... The salvation would go to the ends of the world. Or as John summarizes it here, God so loved the world, that's all of us in it, that he offers his son, that among that people, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So there is the greatest distillation and encapsulation of the gospel I think that we could possibly have. And just because you see the chapter and verse reference everywhere, don't just think of it as wallpaper or part of the background. Think of it as the greatest thing ever. And aren't we glad that people are at least saying that? So with that, we'll close. Thinking about this perfect gift from the perfect giver to an imperfect people and the grace therein and how we have hope through it. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Malvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at malvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.